Welcome to Hallel Fellowship, found on the internet at Hallel.info. That's H-A-L-L-E-L dot I-N-F-O. We hope you are encouraged by the following recorded Bible study to look deeper into every word that proceeds from the mouth of God and how they were lived out in the life of Yeshua HaMashiach, often called Jesus the Christ. So our tour portion today is a good uh, segue into this topic. Not that I'm saying or implying anything specific about our nation or state, though you may infer such things on your own accord. <clears throat> but <laughs> uh, in Genesis chapter 18 is Vayera. This is our, uh, uh, the, the, the interesting uh, portions. There's lots of in here. It is packed full of obviously... Uh, so various events take place. This is broken with three different different uh, uh, sections um, as far as different topics being touched on our short portion. But it is Genesis 18 through 22, verse 24. So that was uh, Vayera, which is the, the short portion that correlates from Genesis chapter 18, verse 1 through 22, uh, verse 24. If you want to go to my spiel or topics about this, this today, as I mentioned before, when we started out, there is lots of different stuff in this Torah portion. A lot of it's subject matters being covered. Uh, we will cover all of them, I'm sure, because it'd be rather lengthy. Before I go through any, any, any of it, though, any questions or comments I can bring up to you, you can bring up now, I can answer you now, because there's a possibility I would not get to all of them. If you have no questions, we'll just move forward. Hey, are you going to do the Hoff Torah as well, or just the Torah portion? You know, I'm not sure if I get the Haftor or not. Uh, it, it is a lot. There are Haftor is Second Kings chapter yeah. four, and uh, it covers a lot about the the uh, 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 the the the, 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 the miracles that uh, Elisha had covered regard does with regards to the uh, the, the children uh, which are being brought back to life, and uh, I think the, a few of the miracles that, that occurs in there. We might get to that. It depends on we, if we cover that topic. It, right now, most of my conversation topics, I intend to cover one of the topics on this Torah portion, and that is a secondary one if I get to it. Uh, then we'll go to the Hoff Torah portion. If we don't get to it, we'll just stick with this and the New Testament topics regarding this, some of these top topics. So we may or may not get to Hoff Torah. I'm not sure yet. Any, any comments? Oh, the two sons? Yeah, ooze and booze? Yeah. <laughs> my children laughed at that. <laughs> Which I'm sure everybody chuckles at that a little bit. Poor, 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 poor son. What's your name, Booze? Really? <laughs> uh, at least it's not in English. The guy, it's, it's, yeah, it's not in English. So it helps, sort of. <laughs> uh, anyway, this All is right, so, Lee. Yes, Lee. Go ahead. Do you have any insight in Lot when he offered up his daughters to the citizens of Sodom? Now, that's an interesting topic. Uh, so there is, I do have notes upon that, which we discussed today. And uh, there's a there's lots of opinions on this topic. Uh, it regards obviously, this is not the only time such thing occurs. Uh, the previous time, or sorry, not future, the initial time, this discussion of offering up somebody else as an alternative option occurs. Obviously, in the Book of Judges, with regards to the concubine of the ben, uh, in, in the, to the tribe of Benjamin, which wipes winds up the, the near complete wiping out or destruction of the entire tribe of Benjamin. To how they how they treated that concubine. 
So um, it is an interesting topic to discuss. We might get to that in, in, in greater detail. I'm not sure. We are going to discuss a bit today regarding the, 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 the nature or the actions of these men and how they interacted with the angels, both Abraham, Lot, and Sodom and Gomorrah, how each of them interacted with them and what their, their reaction responses were. And so Lot seems to be, as we tend to look at him, as a bit of a mixed bag when it comes to righteousness as well as conduct, in that he has obviously a, a sense of right and wrong that is very well developed, much like Abraham does. They come from the same background. However, uh, Lot clearly was willing to offer up his two daughters, which uh, would be reprehensible in most people's viewpoint uh, beyond comprehension. Uh, but that's, we'll, we'll discuss that a little bit today because I, I have my opinion, which I will share my opinion on that topic regarding what that resulted in and why it was done that way. But that's my, it'll be my opinion when we get to it. So I, don't, I, I, have, I have my opinion based upon the actions of the daughters and, and, and what it resulted for, 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 their, for their offspring. Anyhow, uh, in the comments or questions we get to. All right. So we'll go, we'll jump into this. Uh, we'll see how far we get and uh, see where it ends up. <clears throat> so our tour portion, obviously we start out with the introduction for Abraham interacting with three individual men, uh, what appears to be men. Cause Abraham obviously initially in chapter 18 does not know that they are or angelic beings or anything supernatural about them. He treats them as just wandering strangers. So, in the nature of Abraham, this is heavily talked about in every commentary there is. In the nature of Abraham, when he runs across a group of strangers, he has three men, strangers coming up to him or to his area, um, how does he treat them? Now, obviously, we've used the term and for decades, if not centuries now, hospitality, and, and it's very commonly Jewish uh, taught about Abraham's hospitality, how he treated strangers. This is the, the, the primary citation. Uh, not the only one, probably sedition, which how he conducts himself. And we, we're going to be able to contrast a little bit about uh, Abraham and uh, how Lot and Sodom, each of them treat these particular strangers. So first of all, recap just mild, just slightly here. Um, Abraham, of course, offers strangers uh, washing of feet, rest themselves, give them food, does not ask their business where they come from or where they're going. Just gives of himself to take care of those who are in need. Now, granted, we do not know the extent of their need. We don't know what Abraham perceived. They have animals with them or not, or they're just wandering and walking by themselves. It appears they're walking by themselves and they're traveling to or in the generalized direction of toward Sodom. So he may have assumed they were often on business trips or whatever they were doing to go into Sodom. But Abraham of himself offered them, obviously, of his wife, I want to point out a little bit to, to you regarding what he said. Initially, Abraham says, uh, sit down, I will get some water and bring you a morsel of, 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 of bread to eat. Now, they obviously say, do what you have said. Now, this is an important concept that I want, don't want to gloss over. We say we're going to do something and then we do it or go above and beyond. That's Abraham's example he's citing for us here. Now, he offered bread and water. What did he deliver? He delivered 
cakes, bread, some form of bread. He delivered meat. He delivered milk. He delivered eggs or not eggs, sorry, uh, 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 cheese. He delivered them a full meal. And of course, obviously cleaned up and take care of them as well as shade to dwell in. So he said he was going to do one thing. He went above and beyond. Now, the, the, the angel that had replied to him saying, do as you have spoken, do what you have told, you have said, do not ask for more. Just do, do what you have said to do. And that would be sufficient. But it wasn't. It went beyond that. I cannot stress that enough because that's where Matthew 25 pops in. Well, it says Matthew 25 extensively today regarding this, this act that Abraham has done. Because it is an important component in this. I want you to remember and not forget, Abraham is not an Israelite. He's a Gentile. So are a lot. They're all Gentiles. Israelites do, do not exist yet at this time in history. This point in history, there is no law given. So Gentiles, the law of the Gentiles, what, what rules? That's what is in control, what defines what actually happens, the law of the Gentiles. So he's a Gentile, so he's obeying Gentile law. Now we could debate what that means. You know, Abraham, do more, do less, is better at this, better at that, blah, blah, blah. You can argue all you wish. The Torah wasn't given in Abraham's time. So there are certain things we know Abraham knew. His conduct shows what he knows. But beyond that, he does not know because it's not, his conduct does not have a list of what else you do or do not do. Uh, for example, obviously he married his half-sister, which would not be permitted according to the Torah, but yet he did so. So a lot of things which we do and don't do, and Abraham did and didn't know, and, and such. we're not discussing all the details he didn't know. What did he do know? Well, what, what, what did he know that is? He acted according to what he knew. And what he knew was one fundamental thing. How you treat others. How you treat other people. Not just your family, not just your friends, even strangers. Now, some of us have large families and have friends and have extended, extended acquaintances. And would we treat them this well? Some would say, sure. And some of them would say, well, okay, he's really not a very good person. And we start making judgment calls. Abraham doesn't do that. Of course, he doesn't know them. He doesn't do the do, do judgment, judgment calls. So Abraham's initial response is important thing to illustrate uh, as far as how to apply this. And that his response is recorded in a topic in the book of Matthew. So Matthew 25, discussing a little bit about this, we'll try to get to flesh it out for us a little bit. Matthew 25, we'll discuss this in context of, uh, of, of a Gentile. Now, I'm, I want to point out to you, mentioned before, Abraham is a Gentile. So the rules apply to him are Gentile rules, not Torah rules. Don't apply Torah rules, we're Gentile rules. So Matthew 25, we'll jump all the way down to the Gentile category, Matthew 25, and that is, starts in verse 31, which is the Gentile category. Do not confuse the first 13 verses by the 10 virgins. Does not apply to Gentile category, nor the parable of talents. It's also it's a different category of people being discussed. The Gentiles fall down unto Matthew 25, verse 31. The Messiah gave this parable, and he said, verse 31 of Matthew 25, when the Son of Man comes in his glory and all the holy angels with him, he will sit upon the throne of his glory and all the nations we gather before him and he will separate them one from another as a shepherd divides his sheep from the goats. And he will set the sheep on his right hand, but the goats on the left. And the king will say to those on his right hand, 
Come, you blessed of my father, inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. For I was hungry and you gave me food. I was thirsty and you gave me drink. I was a stranger and you took me in. I was naked and you clothed me. I was sick and you visited me. I was in prison and you came to me. Then the righteous will answer him saying, Lord, when did we see you hungry and feed you or thirsty and give you drink? When did we see you a stranger and take you in or naked and clothe you? Or when did we see you sick or in prison and come to you? And the king will answer and say to them, Assuredly, I say to you, inasmuch as you did it to one of these least of my brethren, you did it to me. And he will also say to those on the left hand, Depart from me, you cursed into the everlasting fire, prepared for the devil and his angels. For I was hungry and you gave me no food. I was thirsty and you gave me no drink. I was a stranger and you did not take me in. Naked and you did not clothe me. Sick and in prison, you did not visit me. And they will also answer him saying, Lord, when did we see you hungry or thirsty or a stranger or naked or sick or in prison and did not minister to you? He will answer them saying, And surely I say to you, inasmuch as you did not do it to one of the least of these, you did not do it to me. And these will go away into everlasting punishment, but the righteous into eternal life. So that's, I discussed Matthew 25, verse 31 through 46. That is a Gentile grouping category. As it tells you right there in verse 32, it specifically states so. So in this category, we note what are Gentiles judged on? They are not judged upon Shabbat, right? It's not listed there. They are not judged or ruled or measured according to the Torah. They're not listed there. What is listed there? Their conduct and how they treat other people. That's what Gentiles are judged upon. We say, but, 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 but what about all the rules, all the laws, the instructions? It's not for the Gentile category. That's for different groups of people. So God has broken up mankind into multiple categories. As we say in heaven, there's no difference between Greek and Jew, but on earth there is. As Apostle Paul quite clearly pointed out, to the Jew first, the Greek follows. And the Jew is given more because the oracles and instructions of Torah were given to them. So different rules are required of them and expected of them. It's no different than your own children. When you teach your child to do something right and you instruct them well, you expect them to follow it. If you did not teach your child to do right, and it did not instruct them, how can you expect them to follow it? No different. So Gentiles have a different grouping category. What, they, what are they judged upon according to, to the, this parable that the Messiah gave? Their conduct, how they treat other people. That's their judged upon. So let's go back to our story. We'll cover more of Matthew in a, in a little bit later. Back to Abraham, to Sodom, and to Lot. So in Abraham's grouping, with I have this list, the king makes judgment upon the Gentiles. Abraham is classified by definition a Gentile because Israelites don't exist yet. So he's obviously not an Israelite, nor a Jew in any other form, neither is Lot. But how is their conduct? Did Abraham act like the sheep or like the goats? Did he act like in the, in, in to, to take care of those who were in need? Or do you act as, as to disregard or mistreat or ignore those who are in need? We know the answer, obviously, how Abraham conducted himself. He and Lot did the same type of conduct. They found a stranger and he needed, or she needed, in this case, both two, both two he's, Abraham had three, needed assistance. 
and he treated them accordingly. That's the conduct that God is talking about. Let's go and discuss specifically what God states regarding Abraham. Let's jump down, jump in back to Genesis 18. And a verse, uh, verse 19. This is Genesis 18, 19, discusses God's reasoning why Abraham was so important. Chapter 18, verse 19, it says, For I have loved him, referring to Abraham, because he commands his children and his household after him that they should keep the way of Jehovah doing charity and justice in order that Jehovah might then bring upon Abraham that which he has spoken of him. So why does God love Abraham? Meaning, why does he value him? He will teach his children to do charity and justice. What is charity? To give. Give righteously. Not repay with meanness, not give meanness, but give righteousness. What did Abraham give? He gave these men food and took care of them, addressed their needs. That's what God is focused on. That's how he is judging and deciding, Abraham, you are the person who needs to be blessed in this manner. I will then disclose to you what's going to happen. We'll discuss more about this. Let's, let's jump a little bit to this, the, the subject matter of how Lot treated these two men. Did he treat these two men like the sheep referred to in Matthew or like the goats? What did Lot do? The men came in to the city. Lot bowed himself down. Before they reached the city, bowed himself down the gate at the entrance. What is that doing? It is showing the individuals coming in are greater, more valuable, more worthy than you are. You are acting as a servant to them. That's how Lot treated these two men. Not knowing they were men, is how he treated them. He implored, he insisted that they stay in his home. He gave them shelter. He gave them food. He washed their feet, a place to sleep. So is Lot acting like the sheep referred to in Matthew 25 or the goats? Obviously, he's acting like the sheep. It specifically states here, you, you clothe me, you see I'm hungry, and you take care of me. Those are the sheep. That's a job. So when it comes to conduct, Lot and Abraham, according to the conduct of all Gentiles, which I say that, I'm saying that on purpose means it applies to the Gentile because it applies to all men of every nation, every, na- every country that have ever existed. This law applies to all. The law of the Gentiles, how you treat one another. This is not the limit for Israelites, but this is the measuring tool that God's using upon the Gentile people. And this is how he defines them as being valuable or not valuable. So we have Lot and Abraham both gave of themselves and of their provisions for people that did not know, did not know their business, did nothing of them. 
but offered and gave. Gave freely, willingly, without being coerced or asked or begged, just gave. That is the law that God is using to judge Abraham and Lot, the righteous Gentiles. However, what did Sodom do? Now, these men came in the town, the city of Sodom, and they are not the only ones. As God had pointed out, the cry has come up to his ears. So others of the past have already experienced a similar result. And we'll discuss Second Peter's comment about, the, Peter comment about this in Second Peter shortly. So those have come to this town and they've been assaulted or injured. And in this instance, we have these men come to Sodom and do the Sodomites act like sheep or like goats? And we know this answer because we know it quite well. And what is the answer? Like the goats. They saw someone who was in need, who was, who was, in, who was naked, or not, not physically, of course, but, but spiritually naked. They saw people and they actually left them that way and destroyed them to make them naked, to use them, to expose them and destroy them. Is that how sheep the sheep act in 25? No. So the goats act. And what, are they, what, what, is, what is the king, our God, our Messiah, what does the king decide? The king decides, you're done. Not, oh, you're so sorry, you repented, you won't do it again. Too late. Judgment day has come. You can't say, I'm sorry now, I didn't mean to. As they pointed out, you did not do to one, you didn't do any of them. You will go away to everlasting punishment. That's it. We are to live this life, this flesh and blood life, to learn and act accordingly. If we don't learn, what's the point of living? Do we act accordingly? We need to act according to how we've been taught. What we see, the example that Abraham has given to us. So we can see a little bit more about this in we we'll jump over to uh Let's see here. Second Peter, a little about Lot before we move on to the next portion of the story. So in Second Peter, gives a little bit of insight into the viewpoint of Peter and the presumably all the apostles and during during Messiah's lifetime, that his 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 time period, as far as how they viewed or discussed or appeared to view uh, Lot. So Second Peter, there's a small snippet given here uh, as a side sidebar that Peter gives, Second Peter chapter two, because a little bit about uh, his viewpoint regarding God's destroying a false teacher, destroying a teachers or people who, who do not who, who do not do accordingly. So Second Peter would start in verse. Uh, let's see here, verse one. So, so, so Second Peter does uh, covers a, 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 a different topic. I don't want to cover too much of his topic. He's, he says this is something very, very lengthy regarding instructors. But there's a, there's a sidebar he puts here. We just jump down to verse uh, four to through, uh, through nine. So verse four of Second Peter chapter two, if God did not spare the angels who sinned, but cast them down to hell and deliver them to chains of darkness to be reserved for judgment, and did not spare the ancient world, but saved Noah, one of eight people, a preacher of righteousness, bringing in the flood on the world of the ungodly. 
And he turned the cities of Sodom and Gomorrah into ashes, condemned them to destruction, making them an example to those who after would have lived ungodly. And he delivered Lot, who was oppressed with the filthy conduct of the wicked, for that righteous man dwelling among them tormented his righteous soul from day to day by seeing and hearing their lawless deeds. Then the Lord knows how to deliver the godly out of temptations and to reserve the unjust under punishment for the day of judgment. This topic here, obviously in Second Peter verse two, uh, chapter two, sorry, uh, from that was verse four through through nine. I'm, I'm not covering his entire discussion of of, of teachers, of false teachers, but uh, this so he makes citation of which the Torah does not give us, but in New Testament times it was understood. Lot's conduct. It says his heart, this is Peter's interpretation, his heart tormented, sorry, his soul tor- tormented from day to day by seeing and hearing the lawless deeds. When Lot was hanging out in Sodom's main city gate, what is the job of hanging out at the city gate? To observe people coming and going, to make judgment calls that the king would sit there if there was a king, to sit there and make judgments at the entrance of the city. So what did Lot hear at the entrance of the city? Every complaint. It's a court of law, essentially. Every complaint. How many of you have sat in courts of law over, and obviously Joe has, over and over again, hearing case to case to case to case to case? You hear a lot of stories. Some of them are absurd some make you chuckle inside. Some make you appalled inside. It gets quite extreme. Now, in the case of the gate, that's lots. He's, he is there doing that type of thing. Not saying he is judging them, but he's hearing the cases. Most likely giving his opinion here or there when asked or when needed. Because he is a senior of the area. I mean, I say of Sodom by, by definition, meaning from, from that he wasn't born the city, but he was in the area. He sojourned there. So he has his, he gets to hear all these cases and note, unlike today, which case are more of like money, hey, so-and-so owes me a certain amount of money because they did X, Y, Z to me or whatever the case may be, we're suing them. These cases, he's going to hear all the cases of the individuals who come to the city and get sodomized and they'll go to the king and complain. Look what happens to me. And what do the Sodom, sodomites do? Nothing. Probably laugh. Maybe even do it again. Who knows? So those are the cases which Lot hears about. Hence, when the two men came into the city and Lot insisted they not stay in the square, knowing full well what was going to happen to them. Because he hears all those cases. Maybe not every case, but he hears a lot of them. That's what Lot experienced. Now, hence, where Second Peter records his, his tormenting his righteous soul from day to day, verse 8, uh, by seeing and hearing their lawless deeds. So seeing them, seeing the cases, and hearing the cases. He heard and saw them all. Now, I have to ask, this is a rhetorical question, or you ought to answer it yourself. Why on earth did Lot not move away? Why didn't Lot leave? That's a Good, hard question to answer. He's been living there for over to 10 to 20 years, or close to 20 years at this point. 
Why didn't he just leave? The weather was great. The weather is great. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah, good appreciation of real estate. Appreciation <laughs> of real estate. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah. So in lots of instances, as far as living, and I admit he he did he did appreciate real estate. At this point, he did, did specify, hey, it had lots of green green in the area when he chose the, to live in that that area of the valley, and when he was separated from Abraham. But all the sin, all the lawlessness, all the wickedness, he didn't uh, he didn't pack up and go. He didn't say, okay, Abraham, I'd rather you know have our our parties quarrel and live in that state than than this state of where where my family. In this case, Lot and his children, two of his children, are the only ones who survive it. As much for his for his shepherds and his people who are working for him, all his employees. Maybe they, maybe they suffered the fate of all the sodomites. Who knows? So I guess Sodom also is a state of mind. Uh, <laughs> yes, <laughs> yes. All right. So in this topic um, with regarding Lot, now Lee had asked this question uh, regarding his daughters. So. In the case of Lot, he obviously has these men hanging out in his house. He fed them, he clothed them, or not there to clothing, but he fed them and washed them, gave them bed to eat, to, to sleep in, and such. And Sodom, of course, comes, and they're after his, these men. And Lot is the one who goes out first, which is good. That's how you should do it. To protect the men as his guests, he goes out, and they in, obviously tries to insist to not do anything harm to these men. And the people of Sodom, now I realize our text say, says the, the, the whole city. Um, I, I, I don't know if you can argue the entire city because apparently the son-in-laws may or may not have been there. That's debatable. We're not sure if son-in-laws were part of this whole uh, 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 circus. They, I, I, I hope by the benefit of the doubt they were not. Maybe it was just the majority of the city and they called the whole city. I don't know. But what, I, regardless of who you debate was or wasn't there, Lot goes at himself, and what is their complaint? The initial complaint is, hey, you're a stranger. You're going to judge us now? Now, Lot has been hanging out the city gates for however many years, I don't know, but for some period of time, hearing cases and probably giving his opinion about them. As Peter implies, that we heard all their cases and seeing and hearing their lawless deeds. So he knows exactly what they're going to do and, and their conduct was right and wrong. Now, if he's making a judgment call saying, do no harm to these men, they're judging Lot because of this, that tells us at least what Lot's opinions would have been about these various cases that he saw and heard. His opinions and judgments would have said this was wrong. I'm not saying the Sodomites agreed with him at the various cases he may have heard, but he still voiced his opinion. Because they know the judgment he's, he's offering. Is voicing his opinion. Now, what does it tell us the conduct of a righteous person? You treat others well, as Abraham has done, as Lot has done, but you don't stay silent when you see wickedness, as Lot did not stay silent. That's a harder thing for us to do. I'll be, I'll be honest for me in particular. I think, oh, yeah, you're on your own, your own thing, whatever. You do, you do what you think is right. That's not my business. I'm not going to judge you, blah, blah, blah. I wouldn't do it that way. I have my opinions on my head. I don't always voice them. But in Lot's case, he said, hey, this opportunity I want to voice, so I voice it. And he not only voiced it, he puts his own body in harm's way. 
his own well-being in harm's way. And of course, obviously, he offers his two daughters. We're going to talk about that right now. So as you and I both know, that's a reprehensible act to offer one's daughters, or anybody else for that matter, as a sacrifice, so to speak, to a mob. We would never condone such a thing. That's a terrible thing to do. Now, in Lot's case, I do not know all of what he was thinking was viewpoints were. Obviously, no one knows what he was thinking his viewpoints were. All we know is how he valued the, the well-being of his guests over the well-being of his two daughters. Now, maybe his two daughters were terrible people. I don't know. Maybe he thought awful of them. I don't know. It doesn't really matter. What does matter is we know better than to offer somebody else in that category. You can offer yourself as Messiah had done. You don't get to offer other people. So in Lot's case, he did not offer himself per se, though they would have taken him torn, torn to pieces. He offered somebody else. That was not a conduct that we condone or that God appears to condone. And we see with the act of the angels, they didn't condone. I, that, that's important to note. When he offered to do daughters, what do the angels do? What do the Sodomites do? They said, we'll tear you apart. They just reached in, grabbed Lot, and brought him in, closed the door. And of course, they have the power to blind them when they did so. Contrast that, which we haven't read this yet, but we, we read it, we've read it in the years past, about the, the, the Levite that offered his concubine, the Benjamites, when the same thing in, in Giba. What did he do? His concubine threw out the door and closed, and closed the door. And have her do what you want. Now, if he was going to be as the angels of the Lord were acting, he would never have done such a thing. And of course, his concubine winds up being slaughtered over the course of the, of the night in, in, in death of exposure and everything else they may do to her. I don't, I don't know the details. And that, of course, results in destruction of most of the tribe of Benjamin. But the point is that his conduct was not like the conduct of the two angels. Two angels closed the door and, and held their ground. In this case, they had the power to do so. Now, his angels, the two angels did reply to Lot and said, hey, do you have any son-in-laws, sons, or daughters? Now, they already know the answer to these questions. If you have any of them, get out of the city. And Lot, that same night, I'm assuming the people who were groping about in the darkness, trying to find the doorway, finally got tired and went home. The same night, he goes out and tries to talk to his son-in-laws to convince them, and of course, and his daughter-in-laws, or sorry, daughters, not daughter-in-laws, but daughters, to convince them to leave, and of course, they don't do it. We know that story, so we know how that works. It is the natural course of parents who want to save their family. Anybody wants to save their family from the, from the impending destruction. But the motive of this desperation attempt that he did for his two daughters, trying to, 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 to offer them up, he used his daughters in a particular way that we find is disgraceful and quite quite reprehensible in every, every, every measure of, of, of life. And the angels prevented it from happening. They stopped it. That's a good thing. That tells the value of God said, no, I'm going to value these two daughters just as much as it would value Lot. I'm not going to allow this thing to occur. Note that has not necessarily happened to previous visitors of Sodom. Did God allow destruction and harm to come 
to previous people who have visited Sodom? Yes. He did. Did he, if we go back and, and look, read, reread the story about the Benjamin, Benjamin and, and, and Giva, did God allow previous people to visit that town and get ruined and damaged and injured or murdered? Yes. We ask well, why didn't God stop it then? Why didn't God stop it the first time? Why did he wait till now to stop it? How come, how can we stop it the first time it did? The first person who, did, who thought the idea was a good idea. That's not how God works. Their iniquity was not yet full. Right. That's how he works. He waits. He waits until it grows. To how bad it's going to get. Note when Abraham was counting down with the 50 down to 10. God already knew the answer to those questions. Those questions that Abraham was asking, the whole we think, oh, Abraham talked God down. No, he didn't talk God down. God already knew the answers. He's not ignorant. Abraham was one who had to learn. God does not measure city by 50. Or by 40, 30, 20, or even 10. That's not how he measures a city. Measure city by what? How they conduct themselves and spares those who need sparing. What if Lot had refused to go? Well, it was through the kindness of Abraham that Lot was spared. As it tells us right there in the, in the Torah, in the, in the Torah itself, it says, God remembered Abraham and thus he spared Lot. And that was the reason Lot was spared. If Lot refused to go, what would have happened? Well, Sodom had to be destroyed. If Lot refused to go, would he still be righteous? Eh, you can debate that now. If he refused to leave, so, well, okay, you like it here. So you may not condone the actions, but you like the people, you like the area. <laughs> As Jeff pointed out, the weather's nice. <laughs> okay, you want to live here, you want to stay here, then you're going to live an experience where they all live an experience. So my sister earlier today, she pointed out the illustration. It's not that God takes the cities in the, and villages and destroys them. All the walls around you leaves you standing. You get wiped out too. <laughs> when Jericho fell, yeah, that was, a, that was an anomaly of one, one family surviving through the con- kindness of one person. He doesn't do that all the time. In contrast that with Noah. Yeah, how many people were left on mountaintops? No one. <laughs> they were all taken out. It was a good conversation we had earlier this morning, but the point is that God makes decisions. If you refuse to go, you refuse to go. That is your loss. That includes the loss of your life in the process. So in Lot's case, he had to make a choice to, live, to, to, to leave. Before we get to the full context of his daughters, the consequences of Lot's actions and how his daughters then acted later toward him, we cannot forget what happens to Lot's wife, as we all know, turns into pillar of salt as she returns to look back. We can ask ourselves, what's the big deal of looking back? What does it matter? Abraham looked down at Sodom and Gomorrah the following morning. It was being beaten up and destroyed in like a big kiln furnace. God didn't turn Abraham into salt. One of the other people who lived in the area who looked out their city windows and whoa, what happened over there? They weren't turned into pillar of salt. They all got to see. What does it make? Who cares? You look back. Oh yeah, look at that. Oh, that's terrible. Keep running. What does it matter? Well, apparently it does matter. 
We can debate the reasons why. I'm not covering all the reasons why. And there are lots of opinions on it. But I will say one thing. Uh, apparently, in this instance, God does not want the Lotter's family to witness the destruction of that city, of the cities. Now, that's a hard thing to understand necessarily. We don't know what the reasons are. I can only speculate why. And I won't go into too much detail on that. But whatever the reason was, God did not want them to witness, to be a witness of its destruction. Now, they experienced Sodom for years, but he did not want them to see its destruction. Everybody else could see it, but they couldn't. They were not to see it. I don't know all the reasons why we debate, oh, maybe because of her daughters who are still there, family members, but what could be, could be, we don't know. Either way, God didn't want them to see it. And it, it, it doesn't really matter the reasons other than the fact that we understand that the Lot's heart or her soul, sorry, was, was uh, tormented regularly at Sodom. And maybe this was what tormented it too much. I don't know. We could debate, we could debate all that. I'm not going to go too much reasons. Let's go back into their, his daughters though. So he had offered his daughters to Sodomites to, to sodomize, uh-huh, uh, in, in, in their, their bodies. And of course, he obviously flees to Zoar and then goes to the mountaintop and then his daughters then use him. They kind of sodomize him in some ways. Yeah. <laughs> reverse reverse uh, the, the roles, so to speak. Um, the logic behind the daughters, I won't go into because that's just plain dumb. Uh, but to, uh, we, we, won't, we won't argue that, that righteous people are smart people. If righteous people have to be righteous, then it's very smart. His daughters are not very smart. Uh, but that doesn't matter. So their conduct... I do want to point out something to, to us. We don't forget. We obviously know that uh, uh, Moab, of course, is born and grows up. He has children, continues on. And of course, Ruth, the most famous Moabitess coming out of Moab, is one of the, 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 the uh, parents, parentage of our Messiah. And it, not only that, and the Torah actually talks about this a little bit, regarding if you are a, a Mabitzir, which is a, an illegitimate child, uh, from an ill in, in or not compatible relationship, you are not going to be part of the Israelite community for ten generations. Well, Ruth was the tenth generation, therefore she was allowed to bring part of it, and that's how it worked for her. And then uh, afterward, we also have uh, the 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 daughter of Ammon, an Ammonite uh, daughter, becoming the wife of Solomon, who also has children. The kingdom continues on to them. So. Both descendants of Moab and descendants of Ammon both become parentage great-great-grandmothers to our Messiah. So God does not discard either group, even though they happened to be from illegitimate children. Uh, he did not discard or the, the lineage of Lot. So Moab and Ammon may not necessarily be around today, per se, as a people group. So we can discuss the, 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 the Jordanites and everything else around the area as far as what they may or may not have come from. But the point is, they would God still use them. So in spite of the daughter's lack of smart reasoning, uh, they still got a benefit in the form of their great-great-grandchildren became descendants, or parents, I should say, of our Messiah, who then, of course, who we know very, very well. So the logic behind their daughters, my opinion, this is Daniel H.'s opinion, nothing else, all right, is that uh, it's a turnabout, so to speak. 
Lot was going to offer his daughters to be used by a mob of men. I assume they're all men. Hope they're all men. Women, I that's going to be even worse. Anyway, used in that capacity that was was likely to result in their deaths when they were finished. And uh, because Lot offered somebody else instead of himself in that fashion, uh, then he was then used, his daughters then used him in that same fashion, offering offering him up, so to speak, in, in the, in the, in the reverse, reverse uh, turnabout of play. So in my opinion, it is a, a, a judgment call that God put upon Lot in this fashion. The Lot, you have offered somebody that is not yours to offer. They are human beings too. They are not your property, although women were, you know, were frequently used as a type of property at the time. They are still not. They are humans. Do unto others you have them do unto you. Lot, would you want your your father to offer you up in this category, then do not do so to them. And that's my opinion. And therefore God then returns the favor, so to speak. And the, the daughters then use Lot in that fashion, because I'll be honest with you. If I was in Lot's shoes, I would be beyond humiliated at what my daughters did to me and how I conducted myself. That I would be the parent both the father and grandfather of my two children beyond humiliation, ashamed beyond ashamed. So that would be a hard thing. And Lot had to go through the rest of his life knowing that. So that is a, I could argue it's a harsh judgment or maybe it's a fair judgment, but I didn't make the judgment call. God does. We can debate what God does, whether it's right or wrong. It doesn't matter. He's the one who decides. So in my opinion, this is just in his opinion, uh, these two daughters returned the favor to their father and that they were going to be offered up. So instead they offered him up in that fashion. Okay, let's move forward a little bit. All right, so we have, uh, the only thing I do wish to point out regarding the daughters in their act in our Torah, it uses particular words to indicate logic reasoning. So in this case, the daughters use a particular phrase, word, phrase that is used for logic reasoning. In this case, the word phrase they chose was uh, they want with their father. They were reasoning amongst themselves. They wish to come to their father, not on their father, to their father. Every, every place you're referring to mating in the Torah, it uses the word on. Like he came on to her. She, it, it, that, that, that is the, the phrase where it's all versus the uh, other phrase, the ol. They use the term referring to coming to. That is a term exclusively used for the Levite, mar- Levite marriage, which is when a brother dies with no children, that his, his brother must go into, take, take the wife of his, of his dead brother to produce a child and let the child grow into that brother's name. That is the logic reason. If they use the same term, which apparently they did, and it's exclusively used for that purpose, then therefore the reasoning of the two daughters would have been for the same purpose. The goal was to just produce a male heir, a male child. That was their objective. That was it. That if, if that logic reasoning is true, which Word choice it is. I'm not, of course, in their heads to know for certain that that's what they were doing, but that's the word choice they used. So our Torah allows that. 
not say not to father and daughter by Jupiter, as far as the idea of, of producing a, 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 a offspring in that fashion. Hope there's other questions around this particular topic of our tour portion, because we go to other topics. Any questions thus far? We're going we're gonna to change gears a bit, going off of Sodom, Gomorrah, Lot, Abraham, and Matthew 25 a little bit, and move on to the next category of our tour portion. Any comments thus far? All right. So the next portion we're discussing, of course, obviously deals with uh, Abraham and Sarah and Abimelech and a few of the things that occur in our story. Accidentally closed a book by, by mistake. In chapter 20, it discusses the new topic, a new, new category of, of discussion regards to Abimelech and the interaction with Abraham and Sarah. Now, this is all, mind you, taking place within one year or so of Sodom and Gomorrah. Because Sodom and Gomorrah is an occurrence that remember, the angels had come and they came and talked to Abraham and talked to Sarah and they said, hey, within a year from now, you'll have a child. Well, that same event was when Sodom and Gomorrah gets destroyed the following day. So it's all the same year. Abraham then takes off and heads to Gerar the same year, probably within a few months, I'm not sure, maybe even a few weeks. Because note, Sodom and Gomorrah were major trade center routes. What is Abraham's livelihood? He's a shepherd and cattleman. How do you make your money? Buying and selling sheep and cattle. What happens when the major population center nearby is then gone? Do you have anyone to sell your sheep or cattle to? No, you don't. You have a wasteland you can sell to, but that doesn't pay you money. So what must you do? As an old businessman would do, go find your customers. They're not in Sodom anymore. Where are they? He went to the Philistines. They're in Gerar. So that's where he went. So the case of Abraham, he journeys at chapter 20. He takes off and heads to the Philistine territory. And of course, obviously, we have a similar repeat of the whole sister-brother thing that we have with Pharaoh. We've heard this story before. Remember the old story? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Pharaoh did the same thing, the same all, all over again. Well, there's, there's other issues in this story that are not in the Pharaoh story. You will note there is a, a distinct difference that occurs here in Abimelech does not occur in Pharaoh's story. All right? Look at this one more time, a little more closely. After, of course, Abimelech didn't approach them, he, of course, God speaks to him in a dream, verse, uh, verse 6 there, that I too knew, knew that it was in your innocence of your heart you did this, th- these, these things. And I too prevented you from sinning against me. That's why I did not permit you to, enter, to touch her. But now return the man's wife, for he is a prophet, and will pray for you, and you will live. But if you do not return her, be aware that you shall surely die, you and all that is yours. So in the case of, uh, of Pharaoh and what happened to him, back chapter, like, I forgot what chapter it is, chapter, I think it's 16 or what chapter it was. It was earlier. Uh, Pharaoh and him with, with, with Abraham and Sarah. Uh, God did not appear to have an issue, meaning try to prevent Pharaoh from doing anything per se. Abimelech obviously has some biological thing that occurred to him and his family, his household. But when Jeff covered this, he brought up the thing that was commonly talked about. He talked about this for a bit, and it's, it's true. 
if you parallel or juxtapose the story of, of, of Abraham, Sarah, and Pharaoh, you have a lot of similarities used for the Exodus, right? The Israelites, we have the Exodus. The, the rabbis talked about this for years. About going down, plundering the plagues happening to, to Pharaoh, the Exodus, and then plundering Egypt and coming out again. Well, that similar scenario happens with Pharaoh and, and Abraham and Sarah. However, in the case of Abimelech, it doesn't work out that way. So the story of Abimelech isn't, com- isn't comparable in the same fashion the story of Pharaoh is, with Abraham and Pharaoh to the Israelites. This is a different story, has a different symbols being compared. The first, we have the obvious example of Pharaoh and the Israelites with Pharaoh and, and Abraham and Sarah. And this, we have Abimelech and Abraham, and we have questionable relationship with how does it apply in the future. So in this instance, because it doesn't apply exactly, we have to focus on the differences. What are the differences between them? Maybe that helps answer our question. What's, what's going on in the story? The primary difference, other than the fact that God had already spoken to them and said, you can't do this because I prevented you from doing so. He apparently closed up the as it says in my Bible, it says the orifice, and some of the Bible say the womb of all females. This is or this the, the Hebrew text orifice. It could be you could debate what that means. I mean, they couldn't poop or pee either. That'd be hard. I'm not sure how long that was lasting. Hopefully, a short period of time, not not too long. That would hurt a lot. Um, anyway, so uh, I want to focus on one thing that that Abimelech's response. So in verse uh, was it 15? Unlike Pharaoh. What was Pharaoh's response with, with Abraham and Sarah? Here's your stuff. Get out. Get out of my land. That was Pharaoh's response. You can't stay here. Leave. Go away. No one touch you, but go away. We don't want you here anymore. In the case of Abimelech, that was not what he decided. They replied differently than Pharaoh. Abimelech's reply is, behold, verse 15, my land is before you. Settle wherever you see fit. And to Sarah, he said, Behold, I have given your brother a thousand pieces of silver. Behold, let it be for you an eye covering for all who are with you and to all you will be vindicated. So unlike Pharaoh, Abimelech said, You can stay here. I'm not kicking you out. You can live here. It's okay. Right, as as yeah, as I point, he he accepts responsibility for his part of the actions. He's not pointing out your fault. Go away. He's like, okay, yeah. Although there is an error on your part, he accepts responsibility. He's accepting that, but you can still live here. I'm not kicking you out. I'm not trying to hide what occurred. We're just paying for it. We move on. Pharaoh's response is, I don't want you here. Go away. I don't want to be reminded of you. I don't want to think about you. I want you out of here. But that's not the case. He doesn't complain and say, Abraham, I don't want you. Now, we could debate the reasons why. Maybe it's because of money, food, clothing, shelter, whatever Abraham was selling. I don't know. But the point is, he didn't kick him out. He gave him a lot of stuff. Now, that comes with both a blessing and a cursing. So, just because you weren't kicked out doesn't mean you shouldn't have left anyway. It just means you weren't kicked out. So, it shows a little bit better conduct on Abimelech's side than Pharaoh was. Not saying that Bimelech was a righteous individual, was just his, but his conduct, his, his, his end result was better than Pharaoh. And that's, that's, that's not uh, neglected. We can't neglect that. 
So there are differences. And the reasoning that God says you have to fix this because he is a prophet, else he will destroy you. You will be destroyed if anybody doesn't play for you or pray for you. So now my opinion again, this is Daniel's opinion, interject here. On my viewpoint, when it comes to this particular time, as since we could compare Pharaoh and Abraham to Pharaoh and the Israelites, who could we compare Abimelech and Abraham to? Well, the only instance I can think of, there's probably, actually there's two instances I can think of, where I would compare these is, this is going to be an occurrence that takes place after the Israelites, after the Israelites and Pharaoh come out of Egypt and such. This seems to be an occurrence takes place later. So some event after that, after that original occurrence that we're going to compare this to. And I personally would compare it to one of two events, if not both. My first event that I would compare to, Abimelech is a foreign nation than Abraham, just like Pharaoh was a foreign nation from Abraham. So I'm looking at a foreign nation that takes captive Sarah. Now, Sarah, in the for, when, when we were discussing the Pharaoh story, and comparing that to Israelites, we compare Sarah to the Israelites from themselves. So Sarah and Pharaoh's story were the descendants of, of Abraham, the Israelites, in each of the slaves. So Sarah was classified in the grouping of the slaves, back with Pharaoh and Sarah and Abraham. Well, in this instance, I would think there's no reason to change Sarah's identity. She's still going to be isolated or, or categorized as Israelites. Israelites being captive in another country, another man's house, just like Pharaoh was. But in this case, if they don't release her, that house gets destroyed. And the house, that, that other nation gets destroyed. He says, well, I didn't know. You can have her here. Go. Go, stay, go wherever you want to go. I'm not going to force you under my hand anymore. So in my opinion, this is probably going to isolate itself down to either the diaspora that happens later on for the Israelites when they are captured by the, 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 the Syrians and the, the Babylonians, or it could also be categorized as a future event still to yet to come as far as the return of all the various nations, when they re- the nations, as it, as it discussed the prophets, they will bring back their captives from the, the whole world and return them as an offering to our God. Here are your people. And anyone who does not do so, as, uh, uh, as Zechariah implies, uh, they don't get rain. What happens if you don't get rain? For years and years and years. What happens to your nation? Doesn't live long, does it? Yeah, let's, let's find out. California's hitting that way. <laughs> I'll let you know. <laughs> so, Southern California definitely hit that way. Um, we'll see what happens. If you have no rain, bad things happen. So you do get destroyed. Um, the point is that I, my opinion is that this is a comparison to either to a future event or possibly the diaspora event that had occurred. I don't know for certain, but that's my opinion. Um, I could be wrong. Either way, that's how, that's how it, it appears to me. So in the case of Abimelech, however, I want to point out something to him is that in Abimelech's excuse for his conduct, he pointed his excuse. What was the excuse to God? What is the explanation when God said, hey, you can't do this? But it pointed out, and we'll just go back to verse four. His excuse or his logic reasoning was, oh my Lord, verse four, 
Um, Will you slay a nation even though it is righteous? Did not he himself tell me she is my sister? And she to herself said, he is a brother. In the innocence of my heart and integrity of my hands, have I done this? Okay, back up a little bit. Recall Lot and how he handled his two daughters. Was Lot innocent in his hands or integrity of his heart? No, that was not a good thing. Meaning he didn't ask his daughters, hey, you guys want to volunteer to do this? <laughs> there was no, no conversation about to his, to his daughters about to offer them up to the mob. No, it was not. So I have a question. Do you think Abimelech asked Sarah, hey, you want to be my wife? And her had the authority to say, yeah, not really. No, thanks. He took her into his household. So there's not much innocence there. And it's deliberate action. He was choosing to do so. He didn't walk around and say, she didn't come to his knock on his door. Knock, knock, knock. Hey, can I be your wife next week? No, she didn't volunteer for her. She didn't jump into bed with him. Uh, he took her. So he can argue the innocence of his hand or integrity of his hands. He, it is his intention of trying to be in, in, integrity. His intention is immaterial. It's his actions that mattered. So we may have good intentions, but our intentions do not absolve our actions. His actions is what matter. What was his actions? He took her. He took her. Yeah, the thief, the thief, the kidnapper. He took her. There's nothing that shows that she went up there and knocked the door and said, hey, I want to be your wife. He took her. So we can debate whether it's right or wrong as far as telling, telling him that, 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 that she's his brother or sister, but the actions of the king are still the actions of a king. Now, beyond, so, so there's, there's is a, is a, a lame excuse he offers, bottom line, about why he was justified in his actions. So, as I mentioned before, the main, main, main distinctions between Abimelech and Pharaoh was that Abimelech ends saying, hey, here's the land, live where you want to live. I'm not going to kick you out. And that is a good thing. It allows the person to have the choice. Unlike Pharaoh to say, get out of my land. I don't want to see you anymore. However, there is a consequence to agreeing to live in a land that does not truly fear God. Abraham could have left and probably should have, but he didn't. He chose to stay. Unlike Pharaoh told him he kicked him out. Abimelech said, you can stay. Choose where you want to stay, wherever you want to live. So Abraham did so. But what was the consequence? Well, the consequence of staying? Look what happened later on. What did Abimelech do? He came with his commander and his military commander. What do military commanders do? They go to war. They fight and kill. They order their men to kill and destroy. That's what they do. They're good at it. And that's why they're community commanders. They're good at that. Um, he reads yeah, military commander. In, what was that? In, in, in today's world, the all armies do is build dams and uh, right. hospitals and schools. <laughs> the Army Corps of Engineers, right? No, that's all we do. We, we do good stuff, right? We, we don't carry guns. We, we don't do that anymore. They're, 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 they're rubber bullets, something, right? Yeah, sure. So, uh, yeah, the military are designed to kill. As he comes in and discusses Abraham, okay, Abraham, I assume Abimelech is, is older. I'm not sure. I mean, not old, for older than Abraham, but he's older in his age, you know, for however long he was going to live. 
probably doesn't live as long as Abraham did, I don't think. Anyhow, so Abraham, he comes to Abraham and he, of course, Abimelech is seeing that his time is coming to an end. He's eventually going to pass away. His focus attention upon his sons and his grandsons. Abraham, obviously Abimelech p- believes Abraham is going to out-survive him. And Abraham is going to be, still be around when Abimelech's son is in his kingship. And Abraham will be around when Abimelech's grandson is in the kingship. So Abimelech apparently perceives Abraham's going to outlive him. I don't know the reasons why, just that's how he perceives it. He comes to military commander and says, okay, make a deal. You don't fight us. Got it? Do you have a choice in the matter? No. The military commander is here to make sure you're going to enforce this. And of course, then there's the whole, the, the well thing about the, here's the well. So the consequence of, lend, of continuing to live in the land of Philistines is that Abimelech is still a treacherous by nature, uh, not to continue in his kindness as he had done so with Abraham initially with Sarah. So he relieved, released Sarah, obviously, and gave him money or goods and services, blah, blah, blah. Abraham has the opportunity to leave, of course, is not, which is nothing wrong with that necessarily. But there are consequences of that. You cannot trust someone who does not fear God. I believe the term is, if there's no fear in God, eat, drink, for we will die tomorrow. Right? The New Testament phrase, if there's no resurrection, there's no fear of God, because if your God is pointless then, then might as well just do whatever you feel like doing. Instead of pursuit of happiness, pursuit of self-pleasure. Whatever pleases you, go do so. There's no consequence. So in Abimelech's case, apparently as he aged or as time lapsed, he perceived there was no consequence from stealing these wells that his people have done so, though he claimed he had no knowledge of. It's possible he didn't, but you don't usually come to a military commander unless you're planning on a war. Um, okay, so that, those are topics regarding uh, Abraham, sorry, sorry Abimelech rega- and, and, and the story for, for Sarah. As far as whether or not it was right or wrong, discussing the whole, he's my brother, she's my sister. You can debate that if you wish. Uh, I don't perceive it was necessarily right or wrong. It just is. The only thing I've I've learned to accept personally is that some things just plain are. And we determine, would I do the same or would I not? In my case, I choose not, but others have their decisions to make. You make your own decisions on those. I do believe that there, as the apostles pointed out, there is a physical or carnal relationship with God, and then there's a spiritual one with God. There is a physical that exists and the spiritual exists, and both work simultaneously. Sometimes against each other, sometimes for each other, usually against. And so I believe that there is probably some symbolism going on there inside this as well, that there is a symbolic thing of fear a fear of the mortal fear that we have and also spiritual trust of God. So I believe it combines to both, but that's just my, how I view it as in my opinion. Okay. So the last topic. Yeah. Time for this. This is great. Last week regarding our Torah portion, obviously is a binding of Isaac. Um, now there's not much to say in this category of binding Isaac. We've read the story so many times. It's, you could probably cite most of it by heart. We know the sequence of events of Abraham going off for the three days journey with his servants and such, and the whole story of how Isaac works. Now, we discussed also in the years past about the faith and trust Abraham had in God in order to pull this off. Uh, note that 
Abraham, as we said, mentioned before, Abraham apparently believes or perceives that though he may offer his son, he believes that God will still fulfill the promises through that same son. So whatever Abraham was thinking about in his life or going through his sequence of, 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 of logic or, or emotions up, upheaval through this process, he apparently believed that God would somehow intervene or do something about it. That is a faith far greater than most people I have ever heard of. We look at our own nation today and we think, oh, I'm, things will get better or worse. Things happen. But this amount of faith that Abraham had is far greater than anybody ever met. Uh, that is a hard thing to do for any parent, for anyone. Uh, parent or otherwise, actually, but it's really hard. So uh, I will give, I give Abraham full credit. I don't think I could pull that off. I'm not as great a faith, so to speak, as Abraham has. And that's what was so remarkable about the man, as well as, of course, Isaac himself, having to endure that uh, without screaming and running away, and much like our Messiah had to endure without complaint. That is an amazing ability with inside these two men. And the boy was relatively young. Well, you, Isaac questions, how do we know he didn't scream or run away or try to run away? Well, it's no. Well, first of all, uh, we know he did not successfully try to get away, or we successfully get away. That is, uh, and there's no indication he would have. But uh, Abraham was relatively old man at this time in history, and and Isaac was not a young was not a little boy. He was old enough to be able to physically carry stuff and and do work. So he could have probably escaped from his elderly father, but he did not. So it, take, it shows a lot of character in Isaac as well to somewhat allow yourself to be bound in this fashion. Uh, that's a hard thing too. So the binding of Isaac is an important symbolic messianic event. Both Abraham's conduct and Isaac's conduct are messianic events. They are a trust that our Messiah has and that we try our best to mimic, knowing that we will fall short. There's a reason why Abraham was considered the friend of God and his faith was given to righteousness. righteousness his faith because he believed. That takes a lot. I'm not going to go too much detail about that because it's a bit, uh, it's a bit self-explanatory in what you can read and, and see. Now, I have time for this. I'm going to go back to something I discussed earlier a little bit. Uh, there, are, there are no questions thus far, right? This pretty straightforward stuff. Nothing too complicated here. I want to go back to what I had spoken earlier on uh, Matthew 25. So let's return to Matthew 25 because there's some things I want to talk about that and flesh out a little bit. Um, I, had, I had mentioned earlier when we were discussing Abraham and Lot that they are Gentiles. So are Sodom. Sodomites are all Gentiles. Uh, meaning the Torah was not given to them as uh, the oracles of God, the instructions of God were not given to them yet. The trust of our communication was, but the instructions were not. So I had spent, mentioned that in Matthew 25, verse 31 to 46, was specifically geared toward how God will be judging Gentile nations, or Gentiles in particular, 
about their conduct, how nations conducting themselves, as well as how individuals conduct themselves with inside those nations. So Gentiles have a very specific set of rules that they're expected to follow. And it truly is, you treat others the way you want to be treated. That is a dominant rule applied here. If you read 25, verse 31 through 46, do unto others as you would have them do unto you. Treat others well, because you would want to be treated well. That is how Gentiles are judged. And that is a very good measure. That is an which we all try our best to follow. Doing those you then do to you, how you treat those who are in need. But there are other things I had mentioned before that Matthew 25 is fortunately for us, um, it's broken up into three separate categories. Uh, we have obviously the parable of 10 virgins. That's one group of people that are judged according to a particular measure. Then there's obviously the parable of the talents, which is a different group of people judged by a different measure. And of course, the Gentiles, which we are discussed, judged by their particular measure. So each of these are not, it's not that one is greater or worse or superior or whatever to the other. They're just judged differently. Much like I mentioned before, when you know something and you don't do it, you are judged more harshly than when you have no knowledge of it and you didn't do it. Or even if you had no knowledge of it and did it anyway. So you are judged by different lists, different sets. Now, any individual can fall in any one category, any two categories, or even all three. It doesn't make any difference. But these are the different categories which we strive to succeed in. The Gentile category, which is 31 through 46, is how we conduct and treat other people who are in need. Note, it does not specify that others have to beg us for assistance. It doesn't say plead, somebody pleaded and pleaded and pleaded over and over again. You're so tired and sick of it. You find that fine, here's your piece of bread and go away. That's not listed here. This is a voluntary I'm offering. someone. I see someone who is in need and I give. Now, the other categories I mentioned, I'm not going to flesh them out thoroughly today, but they are due different categories. You will note that we discussed in the past the parable of 10 virgins, that's the first 13 verses also recorded here regarding the taking the extra oil with them and having enough and having to go buy and sell or to, to buy the oil to those who sell oil. They were, they were not prepared. Now, unlike the uh, other categories, we, we've discussed the 10 virgins the past many times about those who were aware, knowing their Messiah is coming. They know he is coming, but they were not prepared for him. And we discussed, I do not know for certain, but I personally used to use oil and oil lamp as the example that I, I immediately go to menorah because the oil lamps are, that's what they're used for. And he used this parable centered around oil and oil lamps. And so I focus on the symbol of the oil and the oil lamps and how the 10 virgins were not prepared, or sorry, five of them were not prepared with their oil and their oil lamps. And since the Torah is pretty explicit about oil, that is your conduct and what you do. So these five were not prepared with their own conduct and what they know and understand with regard to instructions on how to live, how to live their lives. As it ends there, watch for you don't know the day or hour. Well, you don't watch for anything unless you're expecting something to occur. 
The other category, which we did the parable of 10 talents, which discusses these are people who had received the care of their God or their Lord. In this case, their, their instructor, their, 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 their governor or their, uh, their, their, their king. So you are in charge of the king's property, the king's territory, the king's possessions. And how well do you care for them? Do you discard them or do you maintain them well? Now, in our lives, in our world, you can debate what this means. In my opinion, it means you are in charge of the things that God gave to you. Whether it be a nation, whether it be a city, whether it be a possession, whether it be a family, you are in charge of them. Whether it be the law of God itself, you are in charge of. So if you do not do well and take care of those things God gave you, these are people who are not ignorant, mind you. I'm not referring to Gentiles. I'm referring to these people are knowledgeable, both the, the, the virgins as well as the talents. These people are not ordinary Gentiles who know nothing. These people who are aware of who their king is. The virgins are aware of who the bridegroom is. They know their law. They know the Torah. They know what it is and what it is not. The talents people who know what God is. They know who their king is. They know what commands he gave. They know all these things. So these are not ignorant individuals, unlike the Gentiles, which would be categorized as ignorant individuals. These are people who know better and they know what is right and wrong. And to know what is just and what is unjust in the eyes of their king and their Lord. So in this instance, we have obviously the category of people who are, who are given authority over the king's possessions. Now, what are our king? What is his possessions? Well, our God made everything you see. But what is he trying to harvest? What's he want? The people. So in my viewpoint, the talents given would be individuals given. You are given responsibility of these people. Take care of them. So we can, we can apply this to people who are not ignorant of their God, not ignorant of what he wants, but they are in charge of their groups of people. Whether it be family, whether it be cities, whether it be states or countries, makes very little difference. What's given to you to be in charge of, you are to do it right and do it well. So anyhow, uh, that's, this, this is how I view them. But anyway, these are different categories of people. So when discussing Gentiles with Lot and with Abraham and how, we, how they conduct each other or conduct themselves and how they treat the people, it is most important to mimic what they instructed. As far as for any Gentile, that might be in Jew for Jew as well. There's no difference in that, that, that capacity. There is a reason why God said, don't forget, he said in Genesis 18, verse 19, because Abraham will teach his children to follow my ways, I will then disclose to him what I'm going to do. That's an important thing that God loved about Abraham. He was willing to teach his children the ways of God. And what did Abraham leave us? What he did. What did he do? He took care of those who were in need and he tried to intervene on those behalf of those who would be 
struggling or having a hard time or difficulties, such as Sodom and Gomorrah. That's the category, that's the legacy Abraham gave to us. It's a good legacy. It's a good instruction. It's a good measure to make sure we follow at least that. So that is my presentation for today. Yeah, I ended early. Yay! Any comments or questions regarding this Torah portion, our subject matter regarding Vayera, uh, Lot, or Abraham, or any of the subjects made here, or even Sarah, I'll entertain them all. <clears throat> any questions or comments at all? If there are, unmute yourself so I can, uh, you can all hear and we can answer accordingly. Bill wants to say something. Go for it, Bill. Hey, brother. Hey. I love you. I like what you're just talking about. That good. was really good. 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 Well, it's a benefit to you. That's a blessing. That's it. it, it yes, yeah, it was. That's good. That's good. Anything else you, you want to uh, share with us? Any comments or questions or, 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 or things that didn't quite make clear enough or you had dis- disagreements? Yeah, I'll entertain them all. Yeah, I had a small point to make. Go ahead. Um, I was thinking about like when you're talking about Abraham and um, how these guests come walking by and he calls to them, pleads with them to come in and everything. And that he didn't, he didn't ask them right away. Who are you? What are you doing? Why are you here? What's your business? What's your business here? You know, blah, blah, blah. He waits until they've had some food and, you know, they're a little bit comfortable. And then they actually decide to tell him what they are about to do. Right. And uh, I was watching this video on YouTube and they were talking about, I guess, and this is that whole Middle Eastern culture kind of thing that I guess in an Islamic culture, if a guest comes to your house, you have to wait three days until you can ask him why he's there. So a long time. <laughs> yeah. So you feed them, you know, you take care of them, you know, make sure their needs are met. And then after three days, you can ask, by the way, why, why are you here? Why did you come by? Then you can ask them after three days of taking care of them. I just thought that three days wow. kind of interesting. Um, but just also that idea that you just open yourself up to strangers <laughs> Even if you don't know why they're there, they could be up to no good, but you have to wait at least three days until you find out why, why they're there. Well, can, can you limit that to one day after relatives? Oh. <laughs> oh. You get a family discount. <laughs> family, <laughs> family discount. <laughs> I thought of the moral love I love on him. Let's this Abraham love. Yeah, maybe you better. <laughs> <laughs> love you too, Billy. Go ahead. <laughs> Go ahead, Bill. <laughs> I want to clear that up. This is not Sodom and Gomorrah love I'm talking about. I I appreciate the clarification. Got it. (laughs) Uh, Any other comments or questions regarding our Torah portion? Um, (laughs) Yes, Larry. So with the uh, kind of what Tang was talking about, about hospitality, is that a thing we have to remember, a thing that, um, oh, how am I wearing this? Okay. Abraham, when he went to go meet the uh, the three men, when he went out to go greet them, this was a couple days after he was circumcised. Right, a short period of time. So he was in he was in a lot of discomfort, but he still found he still managed to be able to go out and show kindness and greet his guests and take care of them. Which is also a lesson that we should be able to take: is that you know, no matter what kind of discomfort we might be in, we should always find it to help other people who are in need. So fair. Yeah, I, I read that as well, that it's, it's believed that it's shortly after his circumcision. I, obviously, there's no, we don't know for certain, but 
um, it's very possible it was uh, in that in that that, that time period. Um, it's hard to say exactly. Uh, it's it, either way, however you slice it, it was pretty tough uh, in in his scenario. If that was the case, it it, it would have been to be fair, it would have been fairly close after circumcision, probably within a few days or a few weeks. But do, do we know that due to the ages of uh, the, when he was circumcised, as well as when uh, Ishmael, how old he is when Ishmael's sent packing, because we have the ages are all listed of all these details. So yeah, we're really, really close to a circumcision time period. Um, hard to say exactly when, but it's would be rather uncomfortable, I'm sure. Any comments or questions? And another small point is that um, Abraham, when he was told to leave his his family and go out, he obeyed, and that was considered for him to be righteous. Right. But he made one little seemed like one little mistake. He really took part of his family with him. He was supposed <laughs> to leave them. And that was always after that. Every time something happened, it was like something that Lot did caused him problems. He had to go rescue him and he had to, he had to fight, try to hopefully, because I think part of the problem with, with getting Sodom and Gomorrah destroyed was he knew Lot was there. Right. So he was, had to fight for, try to get that not, get Lot not hurt. And it just turned out over and over again. And also when they, when Sarah, when they tried to help God to get, to get the um, covenant taken care of, that didn't work out all that well either. No, so. it didn't. Yeah, uh, there's, uh, there's one of the prophets, I can't remember the exact verse off the top of my head, but it, it refers to Abraham when God had, had brought him out of, uh, uh, of the Ur of Chaldeans. They said that Abraham came out as one. I mean, one man, which implies that God called Abraham. He didn't call Sarah. didn't call Lot. He called Abraham. <laughs> There's a distinction there. The prophets point out that Abraham was one individual God called out. It's just one man came because God was talking to him more specifically. I'm not saying God was ignoring Sarah. I'm just saying God was talking to Abraham. You're right in that case. Uh, he definitely was focused attention on Abraham itself. Came out of the Ur of Chaldeans, but he kind of brought some stuff with him, brought his baggage along, some certain baggage along with him. I'm not, don't be wrong, I'm not saying Sarah was baggage. I'm just saying that he brought some kind of customs and culture with him that was not necessarily beneficial to him or his livelihood. That's true. So what you're saying then is Abram took a lot with him. Oh, well, yes. Oh, <laughs> oh. <laughs> that, that's good. <laughs> Yeah. Oh, yes. All right, then. Well, we'll go ahead and uh, close the prayer there. Let's start with you. Almighty God, our great Father, thank you for our Shabbat, our day of rest, our day of study and worship and praise and, and interest, Father, in learning what is good and right in your eyes. Father, we ask you will bless us and bless the people we care for and love. Father, we are all your servants. And Father, in particular, help us to do what is right in your eyes, that when we are faced with difficult scenarios or things that are confusing to us, that we know that this is for our benefit and we are to learn from them. Help us to learn the lessons well, Father. Help us to to not look back, to not second guess, for you are in charge and you don't make mistakes. Father, we are your servants and help us. Help us to serve you well. Serve the people around us, whomever you give into us, Father. We wish to take care of them and take care of ourselves, Father, take care of our relationship with you. You are good and you are wise. How is it be so as well? 
We praise you and ask your blessing upon the rest of our Shabbat, the rest of our day of rest, that we are at rest and we are at peace with the world around us, with our nation, our families, and you, our God. We praise in Yeshua's name. Amen. You've been listening to a discussion at Hallel Fellowship. If you would like to hear more discussions or if you have any questions, visit the website at hallel.info. That's H-A-L-L-E-L dot I-N-F-O. Hallel.info. Hallel.info.